I hate being the one to cut off conversations. I always feel so bad about it. <laughs> um, good morning, everyone. Happy Labor Day weekend. So excited you guys are here on a holiday weekend. That's awesome. Um, so for those of you who don't know me, my name is Morgan Mundy. Um, you're probably more familiar with my husband, Dylan. He does the worship up here. A um, little bit more of a public figure than I am. Um, so we moved here just last year from Virginia, and it's really funny. Our first weekend visiting PCC was Labor Day weekend last year. So it's pretty, pretty cool seeing this all come sort of full circle. Um, it's been a really, really good year. Um, throughout that year, I've enjoyed working with Roberto, um, with the kids, doing PYC. There they are over there, smaller crowd than normal. Um, I served as a summer intern here, um, and I'll be an intern again over the academic year, um, starting, I think, this next Sunday. So fall is coming quick. Um, so we moved up here to New Jersey just last year so I could start at Princeton Seminary. Um, I'm a student there going into my second year now. Um, for some reason, undergrad wasn't quite enough. I don't really know what I've done to myself, but, but here we are. Um, it brought us here, so it was a good thing. Um, so I am actually at seminary not to be a pastor. I'm a little too high anxiety, and I don't know if you can see my Bambi legs, but they're here. Um, but I, uh, I love the Old Testament. Um, I want to teach it. I want to teach Hebrew. Um, I, if, I love you know Exodus, Leviticus, all that good stuff. So if you ever want to talk laws come to me. Um, <laughs> so um, as you can imagine, I did not expect my first preaching experience to be from the New Testament. Ironically, it's certainly the part of the Bible I know the least. Um, but as I was thinking about what to say today, I realized that um, God loves to use us when we're extremely uncomfortable and when we feel our weakest. Um, so that's certainly how I feel today. Um, but I'm also really reassured that, you know, God's up here with me, and I'm not alone. Um, God loves to use our weakness. Um, so with that, I'm really excited to wrap up our series on living a different life. Um, and this week, we're going to talk about what Paul claimed to be the most fundamental aspect of our faith. Um, so it's a big deal. Um, throughout this whole series, we've talked about what it looks like to, for Christians to get along, to value love above freedom, to honorably partake in the Lord's Supper. But Paul concludes his letter with the reason why Christians are compelled to live differently. Um, as a spoiler alert, the main message that I hope you all hear today is that the resurrection is why we're called to live a different life. Because we have a God who's alive, our lives here on earth matter. So with that, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you that you are a God who pulls us out of our comfort zone and reveals your power and our weakness. Be with us all today as we think about why you call us to live a different life. Speak a new truth to all of us so that we may love you and love others better today. It's in your son's name. Amen. All right. So in the final section of Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he addresses some of their questions concerning the resurrection of Jesus. Um, if you have your Bible, please open to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, if you didn't bring a Bible, there's a blue one in front of you. It should be on or near page 100. Oh, 815, not 100. Um, so Paul caught wind that on top of all the other issues that we've discussed this summer that's been going on in the Church of Corinth, they were also doubting the reality of the resurrection. Paul was not pleased, as you can imagine. Um, so Paul opens the chapter by reminding them of the gospel, of their basic beliefs. So verses three through eight read, 
For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Paul understood that they had concerns and doubts. We all do. We've all been there. But he also needed to remind them of their basic beliefs. And while Paul honored their doubts with a response, a loving response, as we will see in a moment, he makes it very clear that the believers at Corinth can't continue in this doubt and skepticism of the resurrection. It's just too important. Paul's basic response throughout this whole chapter is that, yeah, Jesus was undoubtedly raised from the dead. This is a reality. In fact, the entire gospel hinges on this reality. And because of this, we are called to live a different life. Paul not only says yes to the reality of Jesus' resurrection, but he reminds the Corinthians that the resurrection has a profound impact on how they and how we are supposed to act as believers. The resurrection was more to Paul than just a concept to be proven to them. It was the foundation of the faith. It was the very reason we're called to live differently. So to talk about the resurrection, the two questions I want to explore today are what does the resurrection say about our faith, about our relationship with God, and what does the reality of the resurrection call us to do? How are we as believers to respond to this reality? So to address this first question, we're going to read 1 Corinthians verse, or chapter 15, verses 12 to 19. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Dang. <laughs> what Paul is saying here is that without the resurrection, the gospel isn't true. We don't have salvation. We don't have hope. Uh, Paul doesn't sugarcoat how essential the resurrection is for our faith. Um, <laughs> when I was little, maybe like nine or ten, um, I remember coming back from church one day. And my younger brother, Jackson, who's actually here, did not know I was going to talk about him. So here we go. Um, he was telling my parents how he was, I originally wrote unimpressed, but I don't think that's fair. I think he was more curious about um, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. He said to them, well, if my death would save everyone ever, then like, of course I'd do it. If one death could save everyone, then of course. And I remember my parents were pretty stunned. They were like, okay, how do, we, how do we respond to this now? What do we say? 
how do we make Jesus seem more important to my child again? Um, and they, were, they said, you know, yeah, but what about mean people? Wouldn't it be hard to die for people you didn't like? And I remember as a child thinking I probably lost a lot of sibling points if my brother thought he was as good as Jesus. It's like, all right, that's some tough competition. Um, but what Jackson didn't understand, and I think what a lot of us fail to understand, myself included, is that it wasn't Jesus' death that saved us. It was not the death on the cross that brought salvation for the world, but Paul claims here that it was actually the resurrection that was divine and life-giving. Now, this is an important side. I don't want to be misunderstood. The cross is absolutely essential, and it is worth our deepest respect and gratitude. I mean, it was the ultimate display of sacrifice and love um, that the world has ever known. And without death, life is not, new life is not possible. So I don't want, you know you to think that I don't care about the cross because that is totally untrue. Um, but what Paul is saying is only the resurrection is life-giving. Only through the resurrection is sin redeemed and death truly defeated. Moreover, the cross was a one-time historical event. It happened and it ended. Our salvation is not tied to this distant event that happened a thousand years ago, um, but rather our salvation is tied to the living, resurrected body of Jesus the life and body Jesus took back from death is now ours to share in. We are saved day in and day out as Jesus looks death and sin in the face today and says, no, you will not have the last word. Our salvation is not historical, but living and active as Jesus is still alive and still fighting for us every single day. The resurrection says Jesus is alive. So what does the resurrection mean for our faith and for our relationship with God? It means absolutely everything. I think Paul makes that pretty clear. As Paul says, I'll repeat, without the resurrection, the gospel is not good news. Our faith has no substance and our hope cannot last beyond the grave. The resurrection shows that the gospel is not simply a five-step plan to living a better life. It's not just good moral advice, but it's an announcement about Jesus that creates a whole new reality it completely changes the fabric of how we live, the reality that Jesus is alive. Paul's letter to the Corinthians is about seeing all aspects of life through the lens of this gospel. And this leads me to wonder, um, how would your life change? How would my life change? How would all of our lives change if we truly treated Jesus like he was alive? if we went to the grocery store, drove on the highways like we could pass Jesus? How would our lives change if we treated Jesus like he was alive? When we live in that reality, we live a different life. We forego the meaningless possessions. We forgive the petty hurts. We fight for life-giving relationships. With this gospel, we have a living God to grieve with, to cry with, to fight injustice with. Because of the resurrection, we can live in the freedom of forgiveness and in the hope of new life after death. We can trust that this world is not it. This pain and suffering is not the end because we serve a God who is alive, who died and came back. And because of this, we can trust that death doesn't get the final say. Our faith and our relationship with God only has meaning when we acknowledge that our God is alive. And because our God is living and breathing, the way we live our lives as believers matters, matters a lot. 
God didn't conquer death so that we could live however we wanted, so that we could decide what's best or hurt people, drive too quickly past people on the highway. I say that for myself. Um, He was raised to life so that we could have the power to love. He was raised from the dead to assure us that our pursuit of love is not in vain, but it has strength that can conquer death. I mean, that's incredible. And as we started thinking about this a little bit, I think it's a good time to transition into the second question of how are we as believers to respond to the resurrection? What does this call us to do? So we're going to jump to the end and read the, uh, where are we? There we go. We're going to read uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 58. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So Paul concludes his remarks about the resurrection by telling the Corinthians to pour themselves into the work of the Lord. That therefore at the beginning of verse 58 indicates that Paul is telling them that now, you know, now that Paul has explained how important the resurrection is, here's the logical response, here's what you do. Now that you know how important it is to believe in the resurrection. Um, this is what Paul wants them to get out of his letter, basically. So as a church, how are we to respond to the resurrection? Paul says in verse 58, we are to pour ourselves fully into the work of the Lord. We are to live a different life. It's basically what Paul's saying. We're not only called to live differently because we owe God a massive thank you for salvation, um, but because the resurrection gives us the confirmation that our work for the Lord is never in vain, It always has meaning and it always has power. We are to work for the Lord because our God is alive, who's currently working with us and through us for the benefit of his kingdom and his world. The gospel is not merely Jesus's final will and testament telling us what to do, how to do it, but it's a promise. It's a promise that God is working with us as we pursue love and justice and freedom, as we pursue a different life. Work for the Lord, I think this is really important in this context, is not for salvation or personal gain. Um, We need to remember that the Corinthians were already a church. They were just like all of us sitting here today. You know, salvation was not Paul's concern. It was not really on his mind. 
And this got me thinking about a question that I've been wrestling with throughout this whole series. And if I'm honest, I wrestle with this question a lot um, outside of this summer. Um, and I know the youth have been wrestling with it as well, and so I'm going to make the bold assumption that we've all thought this or are thinking it at one point or another. And that thought is, if my actions don't save me, then why do they matter? What is the point of work for the Lord if it's not for my salvation? As an Old Testament person, this question really bothers me because then it leads to the question of, well, if the law doesn't save me, then that it must be unimportant and valueless. Again, as an Old Testament person, that makes me like cringe a little. I'm like, well, but no, the Old Testament's important. And as these thoughts just, you know, bounced around in my head, I, was, I felt just sucker punched by my own selfishness. I realized, of course my works don't save me. Of course my work for the Lord doesn't save me. They're not for me. They're not meant for me. God doesn't call us into a life of selfishness where we follow the law for our own good. Jesus' resurrection bears the burden of our salvation so that our work from the Lord can be for the people around us, for our community, for our world, for our families. This call to live a different life is about so much more than personal gain, so much more. It's about building and maintaining communities devoted to Jesus, devoted to justice and freedom and love. Work for the Lord is for the growth of the church, for the pursuit of justice and freedom, and for the desire to see the world around us change to be more like Jesus. We are compelled to imitate Christ in the way he loved the poor, supported and uplifted his friends, and gave every breath he had to the pursuit of restoration and peace. That is what work for the Lord is for. And this is what the resurrection empowers us to do. To live a different life is to live like Jesus and to live with Jesus. And as I said at the beginning, because we serve a God who is alive, our lives here on earth matter. They matter a lot. Paul points out all the issues the church of Corinth is having and all the ways that they're failing and screwing up and bothering each other. And as his last attempt to compel them to just get it, his last push, he uses the resurrection. If they forgot every part of his letter up until now, the conclusion he wanted them to get that the resurrection means that their lives matter, their choices matter, their time matters, their attitudes matter, how they treat each other, it all matters. And it all matters because we serve a God who is alive. Now, I honestly, I struggled to think about some practical examples of how we here at PCC can respond and give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Um, and if you want my honest opinion, um, I think here at PCC, honestly, this looks like pouring into the ministries and the missions here at this church. I mean, now, you know, I'm not the pastor. I'm up here with my Bambi legs. Um, I have no reason to tell you all to pour into this place, except for the fact that I love this church. And I know you all love this church too. I mean, when Dylan and I came here a year ago, we did not want to leave because we felt so tangibly how much you all love this place and love each other. I mean, it's just beautiful. I mean, we came here, we left everything behind except our sectional and some pots and pans. And I mean, you guys give us a home. You guys give us friends when we literally had no one. I mean, this community is so special and there's so much, and we have so much to offer to give back to it. 
It's just so clear that the work of the Lord is being done here. From something as small as greeting and working the slides to something as huge as sending people to Honduras and supporting street church. I mean, it's really incredible what our community can do. And you know, I'm not telling you that you need to go abroad or you know, anything like that to live a different life. But I am asking you, as people who love this church, to open your eyes to its needs. Open your eyes to the need of this church and find a you-sized hole and fill it. That'll look different for different people, and that's what's so cool about being part of a community. Is there's a me-sized hole and a you-sized hole somewhere in this place. We have so many amazing ministries here and so many gifted members who could really be a blessing. And pursuing the work of the Lord means building up these relationships that are already so strong and supporting this community that supports so many other communities. Paul wants the Corinthians and Paul wants us to pour into the work of the Lord, to live every day in this community, in this church, in this city, expecting to see Jesus. So when we think about living a different life, I've talked about it all summer, I know for me personally, I can get hung up on the thought, well, what's in this for me? It's awful. I'm already saved, so why do my actions matter? The resurrection calls us to stop looking inward and to start looking out. Jesus bears the weight of our sin and guilt so that we can work to support and love others. So that we don't have to worry about ourselves and we can spend time, we can spend our time, our precious time, pouring into benefiting and building up our community and our friends. So as we conclude this series on living a different life, as this summer comes to a sad close, um, I just challenge you all to remember that the way you live your lives matter. It matters so much. Like the Corinthians, your choices matter, your time matters, your attitudes matter, how you treat people, it all matters. Live your life today, today going forward like it matters to God, because it does. It really does. Our God knows what it's like to live, and he is here living among us today, supporting us, guiding us on our journey to live a different life and on our journey to love others and love him better. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much that you are a living and an active God. Thank you for giving us lives that matter to you. Thank you for putting us here in this place for a reason, for a purpose that's greater than ourselves. Thank you for caring about every step we take in this world and every person we interact with. Help us see where we can serve your church and show us what it means to fully devote ourselves to your work. Help us trust you as we seek to live a different life and as we seek to live with Jesus every day. Amen. So we have come to a time in our service now where you have the opportunity to respond. Um, if there's something on your heart, a decision you'd like to make, or um, if you'd just like to talk to someone about what this next step might look like for you, um, I just invite you to make your way over to the cross. There will be members of the prayer team and leadership team there to pray with you and there to meet you um, and hope you wherever you're at. So as you're willing and able, I just invite you to stand with me as the band leads us in our worship service. Thank you all.